The Rufus Project would like to advise the following podcast contains spoilers for Staying Alive from 1983. If you do not wish to have this movie spoiled, please watch it before listening to the following podcast. We would also like to advise there is some very mild language that may be offensive to some listeners. Does it still have the fever or is it barely alive? We watched Staying Alive from 1983 to see if we could redeem it. Were we successful? Find out after the theme. So bad it's good, what's this movie do you think we should? It's got bad guy love, dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Hello and welcome to the Rufus Project Redeeming Features cast, this time looking at Staying Alive from 1983. I am your host, Trevor Holland, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host... Christian Fletcher. Thank you very much, Trevor. It's always a pleasure to be back here on the Rufus Project <laughs> Redeeming Features cast. Uh, it's always a, always a magical experience. I do look forward to these chats, uh, no matter who picks the movie. And, and this time, it was, uh, it was your choice to pick Staying Alive from 1983. Yes, I must admit it's been one of those movies that, you know, being a big Saturday Night Fever fan and, and actually forgetting when I when I chose this, I forgot it was a sequel, Trevor. I know it seems I'm quite obsessed, but I, I actually saw it as a standalone movie. So having only seen half of it, or sort of maybe I lied, probably about 20 minutes of it, I thought, oh, what a great suggestion. But yes, it's, um, yeah, I don't want to say too much, but I'm, I'm glad we could, um, I could share the experience with someone else. And um, I do apologize in advance for, <laughs> for anything that you didn't like, <laughs> which could be most of it. So yeah. Yeah, so uh, Staying Alive 1983, I think probably the only thing I knew about it going in, obviously, was the fact that it was a sequel, and it apparently it has a very infamous, funny dance finale scene, which we'll obviously get to. So that was all I really knew going into this movie, and um, so I'm sure you've probably got a few more facts than I've got here in front of you, Trevor, or am I jumping ahead? <laughs> you jump ahead? Never! <laughs> Never! <laughs> well, I mean, um, for those out there who, who don't know the plot, I've got a, a little synopsis uh, here ready to go. It's five years later, and Tony Manero's Saturday Night Fever is still burning. Now he's strutting towards his biggest challenge yet, succeeding as a dancer on the Broadway stage. Oh, and like being someone who's quite a fan of the first movie, I suppose we could say, still, I still think they stand alone. Um, yeah, the thought of even considering saying these were linked in that sort of way and saying that it was the same character is so ridiculous. It was almost like... Someone's decided to cash in on some success. I believe it might have been something to do with Flashdance or something being the, the hit movie of that year or that period that sort of, I don't know, dance movies were quite a big thing around that time. That's very true. There were quite a lot of those in the early 80s. Uh, and I'm pretty sure there's probably a few more of those that we will be touching on <laughs> as we uh, as we progress. Because I know we, we, we've done Xanadu. Uh, we did... Um, well, actually, Two of a Kind really wasn't a musical, but it still had John Travolta in there. Yeah, who didn't ex- who didn't exactly have a, a good track record for the eighties, but <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. I, he seems to be quite a regular, but I think we've only had him in one um, one previous movie, and I think this was probably the year or the, possibly the same year as Two of a Kind from memory. So it's interesting that we're now talking about a movie that is essentially a sequel for a movie that he... He was nominated for an Academy Award for Saturday Night Fever, and then to be, I, I read, nominated for the wor- the Raspberry Award for Worst Actor of 1983. So it was a bit of a... A, a lot to happen in five years for Tony Monero, I suppose, or, or the character. But, yeah, I don't know if you're very familiar with the with Saturday Night Fever, Trevor, but I, I was definitely thinking about it a lot while I was watching the film and, and unfortunately, comparing. Sure. Well, I, I, I think I, okay, I went in with, with very little expectations because... To be honest, I've never actually seen Saturday Night Fever. Oh, shame. But, well, let me... If, for someone that hasn't seen it, Trevor, let me just clear up one thing, and this is actually for listeners as well. It's, whilst it's it's often said to be the quintessential disco movie, it, it, is, it is essentially an R-rated drama with a few scenes set in discos woven through it. So it's quite a hard... Hard hitting, um, quite thing. I mean, quite, um, yeah, sorry, quite hard hitting movie. So it almost seemed like 
by releasing Staying Alive and, and the type of film that it was, it was almost like they were going for the reverse and get rid of the drama and just throw as many scenes of dance as they possibly can. So that's probably the angle that I'm coming in from it at, being quite confused. Fair enough. Yeah, well, confused. That might be a theme through this discussion, but we shall get there when we get there. Uh, but first, we definitely need to talk turkey trivia. <laughs> Uh, so for those who haven't heard yes. uh, the podcast before, this is where we talk turkey about the turkey um, and the facts and figures, and then go on to a bit of trivia. So uh, with this uh, with this movie, the IMDb rating is four point four out of ten. It had a budget of about twenty two million dollars, uh, and it actually had a the box office was about one hundred twenty seven million dollars worldwide. Uh, and if I just go straight on to the first bit of trivia I've got, is the fact that it is actually one of 1983's top ten most successful box office films. Wow, I, I suppose the draw of being the sequel to you know, quite a big selling film of the 70s, and, and I suppose you know being at that time, as I said, when dance was quite huge, I, I can understand audiences being you know quite interested in seeing it. I definitely don't think it would have been because of um, John Travolta's previous... Um, castings in other movies, but um, yeah, they definitely would have had that built-in audience that were waiting for something like this, even though I don't think it was a film that even needed a sequel, so, you know, I, I probably should see it as a standalone film, but yeah, that's interesting, but I, probably the biggest thing that I questioned, Trevor, was Sylvester Stallone, question mark, director, that was, was, it was just such a, um, a, such a shock seeing him directing essentially a dance movie. Yeah, it seemed a bit strange, but uh, funnily enough, you've actually given me a nice segue into the next bit of trivia I've got here. <laughs> oh, I like John a Trav- good segue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Travolta <laughs> actually claimed that his favourite director to work with was Sylvester Stallone, because uh, he said that Stallone knew how to make him look the best on screen. Oh, that's interesting. Um, my brain's ra- I'm racking my brains trying to think of what movie or what when he would have actually worked with him, but I actually read that... Um, he was fresh from directing Rocky Three at the time, and I think someone approached him, the producers or the or the film company approached him and said, "Oh, you'd actually be a good choice." Or he suggested he'd be a good choice because he he can handle the world of sequels. But I don't really think that's probably the best approach to go for when you're going into a movie. It's almost like claiming you're going for a substandard effort. Potentially, but uh, I mean, I think like the the Rocky series is generally considered to be pretty good throughout so you, you can't really use that as a, as the example of the subpar sequels because uh that like again not being too familiar with the rocky series either to be completely honest but they they do tend to get a good uh, a good rap mm. so i suppose you know maybe Sylvester Stallone is someone who can handle a sequel if it's not about dancing <laughs> possibly yeah, maybe just not one with dancing, or possibly with John Travolta. I don't know. So, but it definitely seemed to capture the um, the lycra clad world of the eighties. You know, you, you can't deny a lot of that stuff. And yes, it did exist. <laughs> this is so eighties. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, Sylvester Stallone's brother Frank Stallone appeared in a supporting role as Carl, the rhythm guitarist. And uh, the sequel was made and released about six years after Saturday Night Fever, even though. The film story is set five years after the events of the movie, so not really a big difference, but, you know, there's a slight little, uh, little glitch there. Yeah, yeah, I suppose just to make it a little bit confusing for us, but I was really interested, of course, they had to get the BGs back because, you know, I had to look it up, and yeah, Saturday Night Fever is, I don't know if it's number one, but it's possibly, you know, one of the greatest selling soundtrack albums of all time, and it just felt like they were... You know, I was saying about Flashdance before, that was the big hit of 83. I, I don't know whether this was being made before that, you know, and, or whether it cashed in. But um, definitely they, they did the right thing, they thought, by getting the Bee Gees back because we thought, we can have another hit soundtrack again. And God, did they pump out those songs as much as they could. <laughs> Even though they were probably very limited in the amount of songs that they played. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, just, just to wrap up the trivia, in 2006... Entertainment Weekly rated this movie as number one in the top 25 worst sequels ever made. 
Oh, gosh. I actually think we've probably touched on some worse-er sequels <laughs> on the podcast. But we, we yeah, but I, I can see it kind of up there. But, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. So, yeah, so it seems to be universally panned. And I know when I tried to do a lot of research for it, especially American websites would come up saying, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is the, the film that, you know, the industry all laughs at. So I think it's quite known as being this this turkey, so. Fair enough. Well, uh, before we, we, we talk too much about the movie itself and, uh, and our experience of watching it, we, we, we need to set our baseline as, as, as tradition on the Redeeming Features cast. And I've gone through the reviews on Amazon and I've dug up this little gem. The title of this review is Two Hours in Purgatory. Awful early 80s dreck. Everything that was wrong with the popular culture of the time is well represented here, with the possible exception of a soundtrack number or two by Kenny Loggins. I like Saturday Night Fever, and I'm not a Travolta hater, but his acting here is a god-awful atrocity, and the only links to the original picture are the Monero character and the inane Nice Girl Digs Me But I Want the Snotty Princess, who just happens to have an upper-class British accent subplot. Saturday Night Fever had real magic, but this desiccated, lifeless cash-in is good for bad movie fans and possibly professional dancers only. One star. Oh, gosh. I, probably the... Um, I, I was nodding so much in that review, <laughs> but I think it actually answered one of my questions. I thought that was Kenny Loggins on, on the soundtrack. Is there a soundtrack in the 80s that Kenny Loggins wasn't on? <laughs> I, I think that a few may have slipped through, but... Um, You'll be looking at the big early 80s movies. I think Kenny was pretty well represented. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, well, that answered my question. But, yeah, I was nodding my head with a, a few of those um, those things there. But, oh, I even think professional dancers would probably be having a hard time trying to swallow this one <laughs> as well. Very true. But, uh, uh, Christian, I mean, uh, first off, I do want to thank you uh, for one thing about this movie is that when I looked at the running time, and so it was one and a half hours only. Woohoo! Oh, I know. I must admit I was happy too, even though I still glanced at the clock a couple of times and went, oh gosh, there's still 20 minutes to go. <laughs> so yeah, so an hour and a half, whilst it can also drag to feel like over two hours. So, but yeah, this one, but then this one, it started off promising. Like, I, you know, from that opening of one, two, three, and then we're straight into that, what I'm calling here, the 80s lycra dance world, which is just sort of what it seems to exist in for me. Um, you know, I thought, oh, we possibly might be in for a bit of a treat, but then it all seemed to go a bit strange. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, that opening, like, so much neon in the opening titles, and it did not waste any time uh, splashing that title on the screen and, and getting into the dancing action. And we, we seem to be thrown automatically straight into, you know, like Tony Monero, so, you know, the character from Saturday Night Fever. So from those of so those of us familiar with the first movie, yeah, we suddenly know, oh, it's Tony Monero from the first movie, and oh, it looks like he's being knocked back for auditions, but it's a bit different from the disco world that we're used to in Saturday Night Fever. I felt like we were watching something out of a chorus line or something. Well, I noticed that, like, um, he he's dancing along with everybody else, and then he, he decides that he's going to start being a lot more acrobatic and trying to stand out. And that's what gets him uh, booted off the stage. So you know, I think they were trying to establish this. I'm so uh, I'm I'm this individual who who really wants to stand out in the crowd and doesn't want, doesn't just want to be part of the chorus, basically. And that's that echoes so much about the first movie, which was a guy who was you know this guy who just went and danced and just became this this you know hot guy on the dance floor that everyone sort of wanted to be and admired. And and it's interesting because by the end of that film, he sort of started to realise there was more to life. But it seems like by this film, he's a totally different person. He's gone back to being. Oh, it's really hard to explain, I suppose, not having seen the first one. But yeah, it, it, he's not the same character. And I think that would probably be a lot to do with Sylvester Stallone just looking at this pretty much, yeah, as its own unique movie. But then you've got him being knocked back for auditions and then sleeping with all these women. And then the next thing, yeah, he's waiting on tables. And I'm like, God, is this cocktail or what are we watching? Like, it just felt like, um, it just, I was getting already so confused even just early on in the film. Yeah, yeah, he, he was flirting with so many women, including, uh, his boss at the gym where he was doing dancing lessons and then yeah he goes off and, and works at night um i did like the scene where he he goes into his uh little 
super, super cramped, you know, dingy apartment and um, he's combining having a shower with doing his laundry. So that was quite economical. It, it seemed like quite a, quite a clever choice. Uh, it's really funny because, you know, Tony Monero of Saturday Night Fever has obviously gone on to be successful and, um, yeah, and doing his laundry that way. But I think he, there's even a quote at one stage when he goes, um, I can't even find it. Um, oh, yeah, he... He pretty much, um, you know, was was a career man in Brooklyn, but moved to Manhattan and killed it. So, you know, it's many ways you're already given this feeling that this is kind of the the anti-climax movie, or it's kind of showing that dreams can come true in the first movie, but in the second movie they stuff it all up and life just goes back to normal. But yeah, it doesn't seem like he's living a very good existence. But he's also quite this chauvinistic character as well too as we said we're sleeping all these women and a lot of sort of more more dialogue sort of comes out and that's i suppose gets me to the fact that the dialogue is quite excruciating in most times mm-hmm. yeah so like um but then yeah like he's a chauvinistic guy he sleeps with all these women but then they're at the club and and there's these two um girls in in like you know the the heavy blush and the heavy eyeliner and just so a so typical 80s coming up and wanting to party with him afterwards and when he turns one down she just goes guys aren't cute aren't aren't uh, aren't aren't a relationship your exercise exercise (laughs) (laughs) and then after saying that he didn't want to sleep with her we cut to the next morning and he's waking up in bed with cynthia rhodes so okay he didn't want to go party with her but he Partied with Cynthia Rhodes. Who... <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know if that's the same night where he was um, waiting the tables, but that was when there was also those girls that he was picking up at the bar and all that. And they're all. And this is when one of the first times we, I suppose, see the strut. But you know, a, a, a move that he uses quite a lot, and we're quite familiar with from Travolta. But um, that you know, I love when she walk when he walks away, and she's like, "Oh, I love the way you walk," and things like that. And it's it was just so corny. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's what, like, leads on. Like, you know, he, he's a complete chauvinist. He's, he's stringing along one girl while chasing others and, and sort of like telling this girl who appears to be his main relationship, but then isn't. And we don't really know. And she goes, I don't like it when you talk like this, Tony. Um, and then he'll treat her like, the best thing ever, and then he'll get jealous when the guitarist in her band is, because she's a dancer and a waiter and a singer, of course, <laughs> um, and I was just trying to work out, hang on, and, and then, yeah, and th- then he'll be neglected or, or, or pushed away by some other person that she, that he's interested in, and he'll get all huffy and puffy, and go, oh, you can't treat me like that, I'm a human being, and, <laughs> What are you? What are you? What is your point? I know. I can't work out what you're meant to be. And it, it, it's like, is this script going to have any form? Is this script going to have any form of su- surprise, surprise character development or any kind of depth? That's what I'm questioning the whole time. And, and I, from, look, I should have Googled this before we recorded, but, um, Jackie, I believe was the, the female lead in Saturday Night Fever that he, dances with, has a relationship with, and I think becomes friends and she moves away. But I'm scratching my head the whole movie going, is this supposed to be the Jackie of Saturday Night Fever or is this a different woman? So, Trevor, I was just as confused as you. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but, like, quite early on, I, I did notice it. it was a blink and you miss it. When he's going between, like, all these casting agents and he's just getting more and more desperate with each one he goes to, there's a bit where he bumps into a guy walking along the street, and the guy turns around as Sylvester Stallone making a cameo. Yeah, someone mentioned it, and I, <laughs> and I went back and had a look at the at the footage, and yeah, I saw it there. God, sneaky bastard! He had to have that in there, didn't he? <laughs> I bet yeah, he's wish- didn't actually want to be it. Yeah, didn't yeah, want didn't want, to, didn't want to actually be in the movie. Apparently, they they did want him to be in there, but um, he he asked for some more money to actually have a role in the movie as well as directing, so they, they decided to just leave him as the director, but, you know, he still got in there. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I was I, I actually read a couple. There was a few more people that were actually in from the original Saturday Night Fever that were supposed to be in the um, in the new one that actually filmed a lot of scenes, but they were cut, so I, maybe it was at the request of the actor. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, so we've got a couple of, a couple of familiar faces I noticed come back, but, yeah, it's almost its own movie. 
But yeah, so he's definitely um, an interesting character who's very, as we said, chauvinistic. But then the moment the the moment Jackie, his supposed girlfriend slash friend slash whatever she is, starts to crack onto the guy at the audition, he starts to get off in a real huff. His, his ego is so out of um, out of place with that. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, but then on the flip side, like you know, he he goes to see the final night of the show that Jackie's in. And we uh, get to spend the entire time watching a very extending montage of the leading lady in that show, Laura, strutting her stuff and, and him not being able to take her eyes off her. Oh, yeah. And talking about yeah, they, that, those montages, and I say montages because there ended up being quite about two or three, but those... That, that montage of them walking through Brooklyn, I think it was, and they were, um, you know, attempting to make it all look quite lovey-dovey and that they'd built this love affair and they were having this great day, but it was the most aw- one of the most awkward montages I think have ever been filmed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, this, this movie is... If you took out the montages, I think this movie would last about 20 minutes. I know. And, and I suppose if you take the dad songs out too, like you were saying before about how he just goes from girl here and then the scene over here, and then it, it did feel to me very much like a whole heap of production numbers or a whole heap of musical scenes held together just by these really badly underdeveloped scenes that just really never really went anywhere. And as a result, you never felt any connection to these characters. Whoop. If in doubt, we'll slip another Bee Gees tune in, or that, I don't know what the song's called, but that opening song that just has pl- played so many times, something about too much, or something, Dancing in the Fire, or something, but you know, something. You know the song I mean, it's played probably about 30 times. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so what, yeah, so if in doubt, they throw that in. <laughs> Absolutely, but, um, I really found it quite strange that I don't know why, because I, I certainly didn't like the character of Tony, um, and and the the guy was a complete ass. But for some reason, I mean, that opening, um, and and like to the first maybe third or so of the movie, I was kind of enjoying um, John Travolta's performance, and I was just kind of enjoying the the movie. It was completely ridiculous and. Camp is all hell, and, and as you know, my opinion of camp is camp only goes so far. Mm. Um, but, you know, I was, I was really finding myself having a good time for some strange reason. Well, I'm... Um, and, and then, you know, when, uh, when Laura, after getting quite lovey-dovey with him and, and having the, the romantic montage through New York and they end up in bed together and, she just asks him to leave at like three o'clock in the morning yeah. in the middle of a rainstorm. Um, and then she starts treating him, uh, the way he'd been treating Jackie. And, and I was kind of enjoying that until he just started being an entire, well, to be quite frank, being a complete pouty bitch about it all. Yeah, like, gosh, he, um, yeah, as a character, you know, like, again, I hate to make references to Saturday Night Fever. He started off a bit like that in Saturday Night Fever, but he managed to kind of overcome that, and that was the character development by the end of the film. He wasn't an, an idiot, or you might have to beat this out. He wasn't an arsehole, but he, uh, he sort of, yeah, he managed to sort of redeem himself. So it was quite going backwards with this film because he'd almost gone back to being that asshole again so and then treating people any old way and then i think at one stage he has a go at the way that one of the guys treats jackie or something like that and i'm just like guy you're a hypocrite can you not see yourself but yeah it was quite strange and and of course being no character development we never seem to see him get out of this sort of phase but it's funny you said that about um you were enjoying his performance i actually found that he was probably the best actor in the movie and i that probably says a lot, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think like the the highlight, uh, I think of of uh, John Travolta just acting because uh, I mean I, I think this movie can be divided up into the acting bits and the dancing music bits because they're very <laughs> different uh, different things. But when he goes and they have the audition for the show, uh, we'll get to the name of the show in a bit because. Like, <laughs> find that hilarious um and like there's this great big long montage of the girls auditioning for it and then they need like apparently they, they say we need two guys 
And like the guy's edition is over in no time. It's just like been and gone. And then the next day he's there in like the, um, just the sitting room of this dingy hotel where he lives pacing back and forth and like the phone rings and, and like he, he runs for it. Nobody touch the phone. That, that waiting for the phone call scene, I just, that was done really, really well. And I was really impressed by, by his performance and the way that was handled. Yeah, no, I think um, I um, there was a few moments in the movie, in that one in particular, yeah, where he actually, yeah, you could see those acting talents shine through, but there were other times where, I don't know, I think the dancing ones were too, you could just tell he, tell he was so focused on trying to get those moves back down again, because if it had been, say, uh, you know, five or six years since he'd filmed the other movie, he, he would have had to get back into shape again, and gosh, he definitely seemed to have gone a bit too far with the... I don't know, the muscular side, but it was just, it was quite a different side to John Travolta, wasn't it? Yeah, you can tell that uh, he, he, uh, he toned up for this movie. He, uh, well, we're considering, uh, if I jump ahead a little bit, I was, there was a point where it was just like, John, please put some clothes back on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, though, he, oh, I he promised his mum no nudity. <laughs> yeah, he promised his, he promised his mother no nudity, but, um, he, he got as close as he possibly could with that, uh, <laughs> With with the loincloth, um, in that in that uh, in that show that he he ended up being in, oh, which we will name later, I suppose. <laughs> we will get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, but then like you had this great scene of 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 him waiting for the phone call, but then not long after that, because the British girl is apparently rich. We don't know how or why, and like when he does sleep with her, they're in this massive massive bed. Uh, but she's leaving the rehearsals after basically shutting him down when he tried to go, <laughs> what, what's wrong? Why are we, <laughs> I just, whatever. And, and then he just gets stuck on wanting to know whose limo it is. And he just asks, whose limo is this? Ask her, whose limo is this? Ask the driver, whose limo is this? Ask the passerby, whose limo is this? Does anyone know whose limo this is? I mean, the question never gets answered at all in the entire movie, but it was just this weird fixation in this moment on <laughs> whose who's limo is this? Oh, I, no. I'm thinking, why is that even an issue if you're not going to resolve it? <laughs> They've got to flesh things out somehow. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, there was just so many weird things. There was even that moment when he goes to, um, I think it's Laura's dressing room, and, he, and then he... Then he pretends that he's got a friend waiting outside and pretends to bring him in and does that whole miming of bringing somebody in. And then she just slams the door in front of him. But And then he says, oh, it's drafty in there to the guy that's at sea. But you'd think she'd slam it and lock it or he'd move on. But no, he then just opens the door and walks back in. And then she goes, come in. <laughs> and I'm just so confused. I'm like, did the person writing the script even think about the staging of this? I don't know, but yeah, he opens the door, and then for the next minute, he's like completely pissy at her, saying, "Why just slam the door for? You could have broken my face." <laughs> Windy, whiny, whiny, windy, windy, windy. Oh, anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm a charming fellow. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's just like they're, oh. they're making up for anything because they're lacking so much character development. It's just all these not one-liners. I wouldn't even go as far as calling them that, but just these really weird things like those lines when he um says like oh maybe we can get together to appreciate each other and she'd go um i'd have to cancel my manicure and then he goes i have to cancel my brain operation <laughs> I'm like question mark <laughs> strange dialogue yeah i think that was meant to be um like you know fun and charming yeah but it just was a weird analogy or not analogy a weird yeah comment <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, not long after that limo scene, um, I mean, I had to pause the movie because sometimes you do, and I was about halfway through and looking at that halfway mark, and I'm thinking, so I'm 45 minutes through this movie, and I have not yet worked out what it's actually about. Exactly. To me, it's it's feeling like a whole heap of, I think I said it earlier, a whole heap of numbers strung together by just these scenes that don't really know where they're going. And for an excuse just to show a whole heap of, I think, these dance numbers. So, yeah, I was too the same, probably scratching my head a lot earlier than that with the same question. So, But then, as I said earlier, knowing that 
what I'd read about, that there was this infamous finale dance scene that had to be seen to be believed because it was so outrageously bad. I think because I knew that was always coming, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be fine. This is going to occupy my, my second half of the film. But, of course, people always... Um, a reputation always leads on more than what actually is truthful. So, um, yeah, it didn't end up being what I expected So in terms of length. So, yeah, I was too going, how are they yeah. going to fill this movie out? Because I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the only bit of character development uh, that he seemed to have is, is when he, he got shut down by, by Laura um, and then uh, Jackie, uh, Cynthia Rhodes, admits that she loves him but, you know, just can't be being treated like that and he, he gets shut down and ends up hanging with his mother just before Christmas and, and apologising for being such a, uh, a horrible child and um, then goes back to uh, goes back to Jackie and just says, In, "Inside this horrible person, there's a gentleman wanting to get out," and apparently that's enough to get him back on with Jackie. Yeah, just go talk to your mum. Come back, say that you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, Jackie uh, really uh, took a lot of convincing to take him back. So even though we, we sort of see um, Travolta, or sorry, um, Tony Monero as quite a chauvinistic, you know, not a very nice character, it's sort of then by the fact that, as we, you know, just saying that, it doesn't show the girls as being particularly smart with their decisions revolving him. I don't know what it is. It must be the dance that hypnotises him, them or something. I don't know. But they just seem to um, be willing to give him a second chance all the time. He's got this girl he's following, this Laura that he's following around, and then he's got Jackie on the side, I suppose. <laughs> But then, yeah, he gets back with Jackie. They're, they're rehearsing for the show, which by this time we have been told is called Satan's Alley. And boy, did we have fun with uh, jokes around that name whilst watching the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and as he's uh, having a good time and laughing and, and cuddling with Jackie, you see Laura looking on. Uh, with a strange look on her face, and you're thinking, is is she now jealous because he's with Jackie now? And but but then, of course, the the lead in the show, the lead male, um, isn't quite performing up to the director's standards. And thanks to a dance montage with Jackie, uh, John or Tony steps up to uh, to so like you know have a go, and at first Laura is just going, no, no, not him, no! And there's a whole talk about, I don't, you know, put your feelings inside for the show, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, he, after a, a false start, he ends up to be fantastically good at playing this lead role, thereby forcing Jackie and him back together in another super-duper extended dance montage, oh. which we haven't had for about five minutes. Yeah, and probably, I wouldn't be surprised if it had that same Kenny Loggins song playing underneath, but I, I couldn't believe, I don't know, like, I, I know I keep referencing Saturday Night Fever, but I had to laugh. There was, a, you know, it's quite, um, there's a big scene in it where, you know, revolving the Brooklyn Bridge, so of course there had to be a scene with Tony walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, there's a bit of a connection there, and then of course when the infamous white flared suit comes out it doesn't quite oh, yes. it doesn't quite have the look that he had in say 1977 when he wore it on, on the album cover for the, the soundtrack but um and i think i don't know if i'm getting my my i'm think i don't know if i'm thinking of the ending or jumping ahead but i think he does do the strut in the white suit i think when he walks when he's wearing it out i think and then he's refused entry somewhere or something yeah, he puts it on because even though Laura's been giving him the cold shoulder, he gets invited to a uh, a party that she's hosting. Oh, that's but right. But she invites him to that party just after he's agreed to go see Jackie um, sing in, in her band with the Bad 80s music. Oh, that's right. That went on for ages. Sorry, it seemed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... When he gets shut down by Laura, kicked out, he has to go see Jackie, who then, this is again, this, I think this is what leads to Jackie dumping him in the first place before the whole, I'm really a gentleman inside, rubbish. <laughs> so, but that, that was a bit with the whole white suit and he's, yeah, he was walking along the Brooklyn Bridge in the white suit. And I, I found myself wondering, is that is that the 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 Saturday Night Fever suit? I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Yeah, I'm fairly sure it was them trying to, you know, oh gosh, we've got to do something. We've got to do as much of the formula as possible. I'm surprised they didn't actually keep 
Saturday Night Fever, the, I mean, sorry, Staying Alive, the song, for that moment, actually, but that would have been a bit too obvious. Uh, and But any time he was on screen that didn't involve uh, a dance montage, uh, I mean, definitely in that final third or even from part of second half of the movie, it's just like, will you just, do you stop talking? Do you ever stop talking? I mean, he must have, he had like the, the lion's share of dialogue in every single scene he was in. It's like, just, just shut up for a second, Tony, please. I know, or it's like you also like with um yeah with, when they were writing it yeah it's also like with the, with um John Travolta it's like no we didn't you learn from two of a kind just no more the more stuff we give you to do <laughs> you know <laughs> but um I do remember him I, I think I mentioned earlier but the whole um yeah him going back into dancing again I know he trained quite extensively for um Saturday Night Fever so you wonder how um in shape he would have had to have got but by the looks of it he got a bit too in shape and kind of maybe took it a bit too far but maybe he needed everything he could take or everything he could muster to be in satan's alley which was you know well when i saw them um when, when i saw them saying to audition for that and making men- mention of um the show i'm like oh this is that scene they've all been talking about and yeah it didn't let me down i, I felt like we were watching a combination of maybe xanadu or the apple two movies that we've looked at in the in the redeeming features before yeah i, I mean it was very much a uh, I think yeah more more Apple than Xanadu if you think about the scene where yeah, um, yeah. where it's revealed that Dr. Boogaloo is a devil um, oh, yeah. feel free to refer back to our Apple podcast Intent. links are available uh, off the webpage that we will get to at the end of this <laughs> early plug yes. um, but, um, but yeah I mean once the, the the dance montage kind of uh, transforms into opening night and um, and uh, yeah John Travolta's lowered onto this smoky stage to start doing his his stuff and we basically I suppose get to see the ent- pretty much what have we what have would have been the entirety of John Travolta's performance in this show because it just keeps going and he gets less and less on and by the time he's down to a loincloth it's just like he's like built <laughs> it's like yeah he could have he he could have put a Cersei Stallone mask on him and you probably wouldn't have known the difference I know it was almost like yeah it was so Rambo mode and it was funny because yeah you, we mentioned, you mentioned how it came in in the smoke and at first I'm like oh it's starting off like a thriller parody or something and I half expected these zombies to start raising out and it sort of had this whole um um sort of slavery people in cages type thing going on and yeah it just became in pretty much being stripped down to pretty much a loincloth you know on a stage full of lights lycra strobes and cages but then but then um then it seems to have i think there was a part then where i think they have a, yeah they have a break and they come off stage for a little bit and then when they come back on the second time and, and then the whips and the leather start coming out and i'm going oh just when you think it can't get any more 80s slash horrible <laughs> They're going through this, and and uh, John Travolta is making his way through Satan's Alley, um, and um, and like halfway through, because there's a bit where he kisses Laura, and he's not meant to, and she scratches his face, and then he's like bleeding down the side of his face for the rest of the show, which doesn't seem to impact him at all. Um, they they had the had the I guess it was. Um, you know, intermission time and they're facing off each other and Laura just goes, you know what, Tony, you may be out there, but you don't have it. So it's like, okay, is that meant to be some sort of power game? Are we going to see some sort of thing where he doubts himself? Oh, no, no, he's just going to keep on going strong as ever. And I'm I'm suspecting that... Uh, the final scene where he lifts her above his head with one hand. I'm, I'm thinking the way he had been stacked up. <laughs> I don't think that was assisted. I think he was actually holding her above his head with one hand, which is strangely impressive and still a bit disturbing. Very impressive. Like, as yeah, the, the, I was I was disturbed pretty much most of the movie when you could see his muscles like that because that's just not a John Travolta that I'm used to. But yeah, but even though you said yeah, it would have been him lifting her up. I think you look at his face though. There was a lot of strain there. He was having trouble with that. But you know, yeah, good on him for you know um, points for trying. But no Oscar nomination. Sorry, John. <laughs> 
No, and um, and yeah, so yep, yeah, show Satan's Alley <laughs> closes. It's a huge hit, and everyone's celebrating in the back, and he's just going, "I've got to get out of here. I just can't stay here." What? And alongside Jackie, what are you gonna do, Tony? Should we say it together, Christian? <laughs> One, two, three. I'm gonna <laughs> strut. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, yeah, and then we get the famous Travolta strut, and how it's how interesting the song "Staying Alive," which then continues over the entire end credits. I thought they might even chuck in that Kenny Loggins song one more time, but yeah, they had to had to throw that in as a last scene, so they resisted all that time. Yeah, but it's like it was almost like you were finally getting to the song that you've been wanting to hear the entire movie. Um, and, and yeah, it was just so cheesy and camp after this excessive over the top production of Satan's Alley. It was just, just a weird way to finish the movie, I think. Especially a movie that it felt like it built up so much. And then, you know, you've got that bit where he's on that, the, the stand, the tower thing or whatever that lifts up and there's the big thing. Will she make the jump or whatever, you know? And that's the big climax, you think. And then, yeah, it just sort of seems to end. And yeah, as you said, he just struts away. So again, I'm scratching my head going, did we actually just watch a movie or just a whole heap of music videos? It kind of reminds me of those things in the eighties, like Michael Jackson would do and things like that, where they'd have a lot of music videos strung together with stories. I think he did a lot of that with the, the bad album or something like that. And, um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of that kind of thing where it's pretty much just, oh, we've got to throw a, bit of a story in there for a couple of minutes okay and back to a dance number again so by this stage i'm already feeling like i've i've watched something but what i don't know <laughs> fair enough and uh well we've gotten to the closing credits christian so oh my I, gosh. I guess that means uh we should probably talk redeeming features which is the whole point of this podcast now uh, you pick the movie so i shall go first okay. if that's all right with you no worries so, um, yes, yeah, Staying Alive, 1983. What was this movie about? I still don't actually know. Uh, it, it almost seemed like the entire movie was just all these bits and pieces, all these plot lines that never go anywhere or never really get resolved. All it is is an excuse to go to the next dance number. But ultimately, the entire purpose of sitting there for one and a half hours is to get to the final strut to the BG staying alive. At the start, I found John Travolta's character of Tony Manero strangely charming, and he turned into a complete twat, and then he became Lord of the Dance! <laughs> uh, I mean, I know I mentioned the turkey trivia earlier, but watching those closing credits and just going, oh, that guitarist was Sylvester Stallone's brother, Frank Stallone. Okay, cool. And also seeing in the closing credits that even though the songs weren't very good, that uh, Cynthia Rhodes was actually singing in in the movie. Mm. I've always find it impressive when when actors can do their own singing, even if the songs aren't particularly good. Yeah. Uh, but look, once the full on dance rehearsals and 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 the show for Satan's Alley really got underway for me, the movie had pretty much stopped. I I had I just couldn't care less by that stage because obviously nothing was going to be resolved and then it just all became about Satan's Alley and everything else was just like oh, go away uh, but yeah so you know I started out with a good feeling for this movie and and getting towards that halfway point I'm thinking have, have we managed to find another redeemable movie but but by the end that bit of goodwill I had for it had been well and truly eroded away and just Watching that closing credits and just thinking, staying alive, I hate you for what you did to me for the past <laughs> one and a half hours. You promised me one thing and left me with crap. This is <laughs> not redeemable. Ooh, okay, gosh, so some interesting words there, Trevor. So we've got a not redeemable. Let's see if I can... Redeem the movie that I suggested. Okay, well, you know, I, I think, you know, God, I've, I've mentioned Saturday Night Fever so many times in this podcast, you'll be sick of me saying it, but I think coming in with that angle was probably a 
bad thing for me because I'm constantly referring it to this this movie, which isn't you know it's a fantastic movie, but it's not you know it's not the most the best movie you know the, the most well made movie, but you know it's much better than Staying Alive. So if you're happy seeing Staying Alive and the character of Tony Monero, let him exist only in that world. I don't think you need to see him in a sequel because in many ways he's a totally different character. I think, and that's when I say character, I think that leads me into the next bit. There was practically zero, zero character development this, in this whatsoever. It was pretty much a series of daggy 80s production numbers strung together by some quite small scenes, almost vignettes of drama that they were just trying to push through. And almost like what you're saying, there were so many subplots going on, we didn't really know what was happening. Was he dating her? Is that supposed to be the girl from the previous movie? Is he sleeping with her? But it's over. Yeah, in between Kenny Loggins and BGs. And, you know, whilst they were hitting home as much as possible, I felt, trying to make it that they wanted to have this super-selling soundtrack like Saturday Night Fever had, and it just, you know, in many ways failed miserably. And, you know, this topped off by some pretty horrid dialogue and, and some of those quotes we've mentioned earlier. Just It just didn't seem to fit that formula that I think that Robert Stewood and um, I think it was Alan Carr or the other names that were you know, the producers of Saturday Night Fever were trying to, to replicate with this film. And I think it, could, it might have been a lot to do with Sylvester Stallone, especially the fact that a lot of the movie is production numbers and his background in musicals probably wasn't too big. So <laughs> there's... um. Not really a movie in it, and I've probably found myself questioning, why did they actually really bother with this? It's obviously a blatant cash-in on, on dance movies of the time, or, or that sort of, you know, that in that, that sort of era. So, I don't know, it's definitely a product of its time, it's probably its only thing I, you can I give it a bit of um, credit for, but even in many times, it feels even dated for that period. So, I actually really struggle to find redeeming features for this. I, I'm not, I wouldn't even say it's so bad, it's good that it's one of those ones that you can have a laugh at. I didn't even find it was one of those kind of movies. So, I'm actually with you, Trevor, and I can't redeem um, Staying Alive either. There we go. Uh, we have got a double, not redeemable, this movie gets the uh, gets a thumbs down, Sorry, John. Um, I think Sorry, this is. He yeah. doesn't look too good in the Rufus Project world, does he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we uh, we gave the. I think we we figured that two of a kind was not redeemable, and now staying alive is not redeemable. But um, guess what, Christian? This movie does have its fans. Oh, interesting. Probably very limited, but yes, I'm interested. So uh, I've I've dug through, and I kind of suspected we might have had this result. So. Uh, I've dug up another review from Amazon, and the title of this one is Good Guilty Pleasure. Staying Alive is definitely not the best movie ever made, but one I continually go back to, mainly for the music. The soundtrack was understandably ignored because Sad Night Fever was such a masterpiece. But the new BG songs are terrific. Frank Stallone's songs are good, and Cynthia Rhodes is wonderful as well. I don't understand why she didn't have a bigger career. She's a great dancer and singer. Finola Hughes has some terrific dance scenes too, especially the one in which John Travolta first sees her. I agree with critics that the storyline is not that great, and you do wonder what happened to all of Tony's friends and family. But the movie is worth seeing, just not to be taken too seriously. Definitely worth buying the soundtrack, pay special attention to Moody Girl, Life Goes On, and Finding Out the Hard Way. Five stars. I don't know if that'll be a, a soundtrack that I'll be tracking, trying to track down in, in LP bins. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, the, a lot of the music in this movie just annoyed me greatly. So, no. No, I will not be finding the soundtrack for Staying Alive anytime soon. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, I, I'm interested to see where we can go from here, Trevor. Very true. So, um... Oh, no, we we had, we had a good run. I knew it wouldn't last forever, but who knows? Maybe we can make a quick comeback. And uh, I've picked a bit of a different movie for next time. It's not a sequel. It's not a musical. And it's not based on a video game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a change. Oh, my God, what's left? <laughs> well, what's left is technically a comic book movie. Uh, with this particular one, but one before the big current, uh, current craze happened. Uh, so we're going back to 1999. This movie came out to very mixed reviews. I mean, it really got both ends of the spectrum. Um, it managed to gross less than half of its budget, 
at the US box office. Besides being quite a, a who's who of comic actors at the time, uh, it also stars William H. Macy and Academy Award winner Jeffrey Rush. We're going back to 1999 to check out Mystery Men. Oh, oh, I'm interested actually, Trevor, because being a cult movie enthusiast, this is actually quite often listed in cult movie books as being, you know, a, probably a good example of the period anyway, of, of probably one of the few cult movies of the time. So I have actually got the DVD somewhere and have seen it, but I would actually be keen to dig it out and see it again because I remember it being quite an unusual experience. I should put my cards on the table. I have seen this a number of times, but uh, I've also brought movies to the table that I thought I enjoyed, but then watching it through the redeeming features lens, found that they weren't as good as as memory told me. So while I'm confident about this one, I still remind myself every time that I was confident about Resident Evil as well. Damn those, um, damn those lenses and, and trying to fool <laughs> us with our movies. But yes, it's always good to watch through it through the redeeming features eyes. And I've managed to see things I never knew in some of my movies that I used to actually like. So <laughs> I'm willing to tackle Mystery Men. I'm actually looking forward to to giving it another go. Actually, having not seen it for you know probably about ten years. Fantastic. Uh, definitely, probably going to be a fun chat at the very least. And uh, of course, if anyone out there has any thoughts we would love to hear from you do you think we are completely wrong about staying alive do you have some redeeming features for mystery men do you have some reason why mystery men can't be redeemed we would love to hear from you and it's super easy to get in touch with us you can head to our homepage, rufusproject.com and leave a comment below this very episode you can send us an email to podcast at rufusproject.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you do head to the homepage, uh, there's also a handy link on there now which will take you to uh, a list of all the movies we have covered in the Redeeming Features cast. It's getting a, getting a big list, so it's quite a, quite the mix. <laughs> And half the time I'm looking going, oh my god, did we watch that? And then I remember that it would be my brain erasing any memory of having watched it. So that's that's the answer for that. Yeah, putting that list together gave me some bad memories. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I'm actually looking forward to Mystery Men. Whether I will actually be saying that next time, we will wait and see. Fantastic. Well, uh, as always, I mean, the movie, not redeemable, but I always enjoy our chats. That's a definite... Definitely. I always love them, Trevor. And I think, yeah, I think our chats are pretty redeemable, even if the movies aren't. So. Very, very true. So uh, until next time, uh, enjoy Mystery Men, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I'll s- chat to you next time. Thanks, Trevor. Chat then. So that it's good, what's this movie? Do you think we should? It's got bad I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Boy? Oh boy. Christian and Trevor on the case, watching movies from all over the place. I'm BB, says it's bad, but we want to know what the fun to be had. Boy? Oh boy. Redeeming features. <laughs>